Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that the entrance of your word brings light. And Lord, I want to pray that your word would truly come into situations and circumstances and bring light this morning. Lord, I pray for you to be at work in each of our hearts, in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're, uh, it's your first time here, we're in the, uh, we started off a few weeks ago going through a series looking at Nehemiah. And we are looking at God at work restoring, renewing, rebuilding his people. We're looking at God bringing change, God showing his faithfulness. And here in this passage today, we see that Nehemiah is confronted by the need for change, but also brings a compelling vision. He's able to walk amongst the rubble and the ruins, and yet uh, to be fully exposed to the difficulty, the heartbreak, the pain, and to have a vision for change. And I want to encourage each of us that there's something in that for us, the ability to walk amongst rubble, amongst ruins, amongst difficulty, and have a vision to see God bring change. You know, just a, by way of recap, we saw that Nehemiah in chapter 1 was doing well. He was prospering in captivity. God's people had lost the land that he'd given to them. They'd gone off into exile because of sin. Because of sin, they had lost what God had for them. And God had sent them prophets to warn them. And with each succeeding prophet, the judgment got worse. Eventually, they're carried off into captivity. And Nehemiah's doing fine. We see that some people uh, had already, uh, under Zerubbabel, gone back to start to rebuild in Jerusalem. Then there's a, a revival under Ezra where he goes back and, and establishes a place of the Word of God again. But time and time again, the people begin to get slow. And then we read in chapter 1, as Simon preached on last week, that, that some people come and Nehemiah says, what state is God's work in? How are, how are things in Jerusalem? And the report they give isn't good. The report is that its gates are burned with fire and that it is in ruin and rubble. And you know, the interesting thing is, Nehemiah responds to that with a broken heart. We read that Nehemiah prayed, he wept, and he fasted. God broke Nehemiah's heart because of the state of his people. And I believe there's something in that for us. We need to be able to see, look around, look at the church in this nation, look at the need, the brokenness, and have a heart that is broken by God. We see that he prayed, he wept, and he fasted. Nehemiah didn't suddenly think, I'm the answer. No, no, Nehemiah had a heart that was broken before God. And I have seen time and time again that every significant move of God begins with a broken heart. It doesn't bring with a haut to begin with a haughtiness. It doesn't begin with the fact that we think we have all the answers. No, it begins with a broken heart. It begins with prayer. It begins with weeping and it begins with fasting. 
And I want to encourage you, church, let's rise up into all that God has for us. But let's allow God to break our hearts with what breaks his heart. Nehemiah prayed, he wept and fasted, but he wasn't concerned just with his own prosperity. He was doing well and he could have left it at that. But rather he was stirred. He takes a chance. We see at the start of chapter 2, Nehemiah takes a risk before a pagan king and asks for help to go back to Jerusalem. And as Matt reminded us, God has a habit of using even difficult people, difficult circumstances. God has a habit of using others to establish his work. And that's exactly what he does. And Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem. And that's where we pick it up here. God at work through a pagan king making his purposes possible. I want us to see the big picture. God is working out his purposes in his people over hundreds of years. And for me, that's encouraging because it says we don't need to be discouraged as we go through times of difficulty. We don't need to be discouraged as it seems like we're praying and maybe we don't see instantaneous results, but we trust in the God of heaven who is able. So Nehemiah at this point comes back to Jerusalem and we're going to see God at work doing a work of restoration. And Nehemiah is full, this book, of restoration. God doing what only he can do. God restoring a people. God restoring his people to what he has for them in the land there. But it's also full of repentance. And again, I think I've said this before, but we make a mistake if, like some, we simply read Nehemiah as a leadership manual or instruction manual on how to cast vision and how to lead. No, we have to go deeper than that and see the big picture. What is God doing in his people? And it's a book that speaks of the need for repentance. It speaks of God's grace and his mercy, God's loving kindness. Yes, there are great leadership lessons there, but more, this is a book about who God is. It points to God's faithfulness at work, restoring and saving his people. That's the big story. And if we want to think about how that applies to us here and now, We need to see and understand that it's God's desire to be at work restoring broken lives. It's God's desire to use his people to see himself glorified and the lost reached. You know, big in this is this idea of God's grace, God's faithfulness. You know, it's so easy to read a book like this and think, Nehemiah is a man with a vision. I'm going to have a vision. I'm going to do something great for God. But we miss it because what ought to form us and shape us is prayer and fasting and weepingness, a confidence in the goodness of God, not the bigness of ourselves. And I think that's so important. You know, if we look uh, earlier in Nehemiah 2.9, it says, And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. It doesn't say because I was so smart, because I had a plan, because I missed the action. It doesn't say because I know, because I had it figured out. Simply the gracious hand of God was upon me. 
Brothers and sisters, let's eagerly seek the gracious hand of God. Let's seek his power, his work, his purpose. You know, it's important, isn't it, that when we build anything, we build with good foundations. Now, I don't want to stray into the realms of hypocrisy because I'm actually not very good at building or DIY. And uh, Johnny, who led worship today, Johnny's good with building stuff and uh, he can do things like that. In our house, it's Annie that builds. So when we go to Ikea and, uh, um, and we, we get our flat pack furniture, you know that thing, you come home and you think you've got to assemble the furniture, you need to read that strange instruction language that is in an Ikea flat pack. Uh, thanks, Ellen. Ellen's from Sweden. It's, it's your people that gave us that, that flat pack language. And um, you know when you try to figure it out. So at that point, I say, let me cook dinner. Because I'm good at that. Because my dad was a curry chef. So it means that I know how to cook curry. So I will go, but I'm married to Annie, and Annie's German. And all Germans know how to build. They're just wired that way. Two things about Germans. They have sat-nav in their head. You can drop them anywhere. They find their way out. But also, they know how to build. And so in my house, if I was putting up a shelf, like it, it can move the coffee to you if you put it at the top, conveyor belt style, because the shelf ain't straight. But I don't really know how to build. But Annie reliably informs me, if you want to build, you have to build on a good foundation. And Nehemiah's foundation was trust in the faithfulness of God, trust in God's grace, trust in God's favor, not trust in his own abilities. You know, God is good. He gives gifts to his people. We need to celebrate that. We need to use what we have, but let's trust in the gracious hand of God. You know, what Nehemiah didn't do was set about a project. You know, if we look at some of the massive leadership failures we see in church and culture, it's often because people want to build a work for themselves. They want to build a name, a reputation. They want to do something. But actually, firstly, we're called to seek someone, not build something. And that seek someone is to seek God. And as we do, God is graciously at work in his people. You know, I hear a lot of people talking about we build the kingdom of God. And in one sense, we don't. God builds his kingdom. We receive the kingdom of God. We enter into it. It comes upon us. But actually, it's God building his kingdom. Now, in his goodness and grace, he invites us to be co-workers in his work. But it's so important to keep that understanding. God builds his kingdom and invites us into that. So how did Nehemiah see God at work? Well, firstly there, number one, Nehemiah walked amongst the rubble. Nehemiah walked amongst the rubble. From verse 11, I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned by fire. 
Then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mouth to pass. It's interesting, isn't it? If we see how Nehemiah gets to work. I like the fact that he begins with rest. He gets to Jerusalem and he doesn't suddenly rush into things, but he rests for three days. That sense of, you know, if we understand the context, Nehemiah would have been traveling for days. It would have been a tough journey and Nehemiah takes the time to rest. And I really want to encourage us, it's good to serve God. It's good to be busy in his work. But you know what? Let's learn to work from a place of resting in God. Let's learn to serve from a place of peace. Let's not get into striving. You know, I was this week was with uh, Stephen in Baku looking at opportunities for them to serve longer term in Azerbaijan. Really exciting possibilities. And we got back after a night flight and I was just wiped. And I was trying to big it up and see it through. And, and in the end, I just fell asleep on the sofa. I needed to rest. And I want to encourage you. You know, God gives grace and strength, but he also gives common sense. Learn to work well and to rest well. Let's learn the seasons that God works in. Secondly, we see that Nehemiah goes to inspect the walls. He wants to see firsthand what is going on. And it's interesting because he doesn't take a big crowd of people. He doesn't announce his coming. He's, he's like, this is like the no frills Nehemiah. He's not kind of trailing it on social media. I'm going to be out inspecting the walls. If you want to build something, come with me. God is doing a good thing. It's the day of the Lord's visitation. He doesn't need a hype man. Nehemiah simply goes to see what the situation is and allow God to speak into his heart. He's no fuss. He doesn't, he goes at night. It's almost like he doesn't want to draw attention to himself. He says that he's the only one on an animal. He's not like he's taking the whole zoo with him to go wander around. He's not taking all the horses and donkeys and goats or can you ride a goat? I don't know, but whatever it is, an alpaca, like he's not taking all that stuff. He's simply going no fuss, no frills to see the situation. But he also carries a sense of vision. He also carries this sense of expectation. I love that as Nehemiah walks, he walks amongst the rubble, but with a vision for change. Just that phrase, 20 something years old, years ago, when I was first pastoring here in Tower Hamlets, God spoke to me through these verses of what it is to walk amongst the rubble. The first church that we were co-pastors in and helped to plant worked exclusively virtually amongst homeless people, amongst addicts, amongst those who were sex working, amongst people in tremendous difficulty. And it began with God breaking our hearts. And we learned what it is to walk amongst the rubble, to walk amongst the brokenness, But friends, the rubble is not just in the obviously broken. There's rubble in success. There's rubble in these fancy new builds. There's rubble in wealth. There's rubble 
in success as well. There's brokenness that underpins so much of the world around us. You know, I think it's a a good picture of Christian life and what does ministry and serving look like. Nehemiah walked amongst the rubble. That's the rubble of pain. It's the rubble of selfishness. It's the rubble of false religion. It's the rubble of isolation. It's the rubble of addiction. The rubble of anxiety. Seeing the reality of the brokenness around us. Seeing what seems to constantly pervade. And if we open up our eyes, people around us are broken. There is such a struggle for meaning, a struggle for acceptance, struggling hugely as a culture right now with anxiety, struggling with what the future holds, struggling with certainty, struggling with identity, struggling with truth, struggling with money. Nehemiah doesn't just phone it in, but he walks amongst the rubble. Nehemiah allows his senses to be assaulted by the brokenness around him. And you know, so many times Christians want to withdraw into our own comfortable space, pursue our own comfortable existence, live life our way doing well. Nehemiah left a position of prominence. Nehemiah left a place of safety in exile to go back into brokenness and to walk amongst rubble. And friends, if you want a metaphor for serving and serving in this church and serving in this community, know what it is to walk amongst the rubble. Know what it is not to isolate and insulate yourself from the hurt and the pain, but to walk and be allow yourself to be exposed to it. You know, the Bible is very specific here. It talks about the, 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 the rubble being difficult and they couldn't get a horse through or a donkey or whatever it is. And they had to, he had to get off and walk and, he had to, and his, his senses were assaulted. It says that the gates were burned by fire. Now, if you've ever been in a burning building, when you come out, you smell of burning building. Hey, even if you go to a barbecue... You know when you go to a barbecue and you go and you chow good food and then you think, oh, I've only got a little bit of tomato sauce on this. I'm going to wear it tomorrow. And then you put it on and then suddenly, what's that smell? And the smell of barbecue arises. It's a good smell. Guys, someone should bottle that stuff, man. That's, that's aftershave and a half, you know. But it, it remains on you, doesn't it? And Nehemiah allowed his senses to be assaulted by the brokenness and the rubble. You know, in Tower Hamlets, we have our own version of that. It's the smell of weed, isn't it? You know, when you, as it comes up your block or as it comes walking by the person next to you and, you know, just that's what it is, walking amongst the rubble, the smell of brokenness. And yet, Nehemiah doesn't run from it, but he has a vision for change. You know, Isaiah 58 is one of those passages and verses that has just kept us in ministry here in Tower Hamlets for many, many years now. And um, it says there to spend yourself, in verse 10 of Isaiah 58, spend yourself on behalf of the hungry. 
Annie really showed me something interesting years ago. She said Martin Luther, when he translated that into common German, the Luther translation says, let the hungry find your heart. That's different, isn't it? Because it means I don't just serve people. I don't just do good deeds to them. I don't just help out at the food bank or whatever. But I involve myself in people's lives with all of their chaos and brokenness. You know, I'm so glad someone did that for us. I grew up as part of a large family, on a, a chaotic family on a council estate in South London. And some people who had nice, simple, pleasant, affluent lives came and involved themselves in the life of my family. And I came to Christ. They put up with our chaos. And boy, there was a lot of chaos. You think I'm chaos now. You should have seen me back then. But they involved themselves. And they allowed us to find their hearts. They didn't understand what it was like to live on a council estate, but they loved Jesus. And because they loved Jesus, they loved us. Let the hungry find your heart. Let the broken, even round your table, into your home. I love the fact it says that it was so difficult to walk. You ever felt that? Sometimes life, ministry, you have a real snoutful and it just feels like, God, I can't cope anymore with this stuff around me. Find grace. You know, he had to get off his horse and walk over broken rubble. Jackie Pullinger, who did the most amazing work in Hong Kong, once said that Christians ought to have hard feet and soft hearts, hard feet that they will go anywhere, walk over the wreckage of our culture and world, and soft hearts that our hearts are easily broken with compassion. But then she said the most devastating thing. She said the trouble is most Christians have soft feet and hard hearts. We look and live for comfort, and our hearts just aren't moved by the brokenness around us. Tolkien, when he describes hobbits, talks about their hard, calloused feet. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you have hobbits' feet. I pray that you can walk amongst and amongst rubble and ruins and that you don't give up, but you have hard feet and soft hearts, not hard, feet, hard hearts and soft feet. I want to encourage you. Take a long, sober look around you. Take a look at the brokenness and have a vision for change. When we see another scandal about power in the church, when you see another scandal about the lack of passion for the gospel, when we look at the prayerlessness, when we see churches abandoning the historic Christian faith for a half-hearted hybrid, Brothers and sisters, take a look. What do you see? Nehemiah saw the brokenness. He didn't soft soap it. But he also had a vision for change. So number two, Nehemiah got a vision for change. Verse 17 says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. That applies to the Spurs manager as well. But anyway, Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. See, Nehemiah doesn't soft soap them. He doesn't give them flattery. He doesn't say, oh, it's not so bad, is it? You know, 
but Nehemiah sees, says to them, you see the trouble we are in. He points out the problems. You know, they were probably so used to it. Some of those who'd returned, they'd come back from captivity, started working, it got hard, they gave up, and they were probably used to it. Because we stop seeing the dysfunctions we walk past every day. You know, we have a toilet door that doesn't lock properly. People come and say, oh, your toilet door doesn't lock properly. And you know what? We're just used to it. You know, maybe if there's like a bit of your house that's not painted or, or some odd thing, or you just walk by it and you get used to it. You stop seeing it. And Nehemiah points out to them, you see the state we are in. He points out the brokenness. You know, prophetic vision, the insight of the word and spirit of God actually has a habit of stirring up and showing what is wrong. But it doesn't write people off, but it encourages them with a vision for change. You know, it's the difference between a critic and someone like Nehemiah. A critic can point out what's wrong quite, quite easily, can't they? They can just always, they know what's wrong, but they don't know what to do about it. And Nehemiah points out, look how bad the situation is. What do we see when we look at the church in our nation? I believe we need to see change. I believe we need to cry out to God for change. I believe we need to cry out to God for our church, our lives, ourselves, our homes, our families, but also this city, this nation, that God would do a work of restoring and reviving his people. But also as we engage with those around us and we see their brokenness, let's not hide from it. You know, the gospel isn't whoopee doopy doo, Jesus loves you, go to heaven. No, no, the gospel tells us that we are sinners who need to be saved. It confronts us with the brokenness of our situation but offers us hope. It offers us grace. It doesn't condemn and write us off, but it does show us the need for change. And as we confront and walk amongst the rubble, let's not pretend to people that everything will be okay. Let's not pretend that just being nice or doing good deeds or trying harder is enough. Let's tell people actually the truth is worse than you can imagine but God's ability to save and his grace are bigger than you could ever comprehend as we walk amongst the rubble let's get a vision for rescue to see that people need saving it's so important people need to be saved they need rescue I once heard a, a Reinhard Bonnke sermon, and he was preaching uh, an evangelist, German evangelist, powerful, powerful message. And he said, well, people need to be rescued. He said, when you see a drowning man, what does he need? We see someone drowning, what do we say? Do, do they need condemnation? Well, that was stupid of you to jump in there, wasn't it? Ah, I learned you can't swim. It's your fault. Is that going to help the guy? No. You know, is it disgust? I'm not going to get in there. That looks difficult. Have you seen how dirty the Thames water is? And actually, even if you climb out, you're probably going to die from drinking that stuff. Ugh, you're nasty. 
That's sometimes the, the response that Christians have to the brokenness around them. Sometimes it's to blame. Sometimes it's sympathy. Oh, it must be so hard for you. Let me empathize. You know, I, I, I see that you're drowning. Some of my best friends have drowned. You know, it, it, sympathy's not enough, is it? You know, all of those things can be good, not the condemnation and the ridicule bit, but sympathy can be great. Somebody drowning at that moment, therapy isn't what they need. How are you feeling about this situation? Like, therapy has a good place, but actually people need rescue. A drowning man needs rescue. He doesn't need those other things first. They might be part of a process of wholeness, but they need rescue. And you know, to be rescued from our sin, we need to see the brokenness of ourselves and our own sin. But also we need to call people to a hope in Jesus. You see, that's what it is to walk amongst the rubble. It's to see the brokenness, not hide from it, but also to have a vision for change. Nehemiah says, you see the, how difficult it is. Come, let us build. He doesn't write the situation off. He's hopeful, not in himself, but in God. You know, one of my good friends is a guy called Matt, and some of you have probably met him. And he's an interesting guy because one of his fingers has got a stump there. And the reason it has a stump is um, because he was, he was doing some DIY for a friend. He was rebuilding a friend's kitchen. And this friend's wife said, look, I've got a party at the weekend. Is there any way it can be ready for Friday? And he didn't have time. And his friend who was supposed to help him suddenly had other things to do. And so my friend Matt thought, I really want to help this lady out and get her kitchen done in time. So he's furiously trying to do the kitchen. And uh, one of the things that he discovered was that he could do some of the work quicker if he took the safety guard of the electric saw thing, which sounded like a great thing at the time, because if you didn't have the safety guard, you could do all sorts of other things with it. The trouble was it slipped and cut off the top of his finger. Cue blood pouring out. I actually did have a picture of this, but it's a family show. It's a family show. But anyway, so the, the top of the finger comes off. He runs out screaming, runs down the road to his wife, He's got the top of his finger there, knocks on the door. She sees it and she starts shouting at him. And she basically says, you're a Muppet. What have you done? So they go to hospital. I think this bit's in the the ice or whatever. They go to hospital and they wait in A&E and they see a brilliant doctor. Now, I am not medically trained at all, but I'm a great diagnostician. So in that situation, I knew what the situation, if I was there, I would be able to say, I can diagnose this medically. The trouble is you're a Muppet and you've cut the top of your finger off and you shouldn't have done it. What a great diagnosis. You or I could do it. I think some of the children in our Sunday school would be able to diagnose it. Of course, after taking pictures and posting them on Facebook, because that's what you have to do. But the thing is, Anybody can point out what's wrong. And as we look at our world around us, 
We can look at it and see what's wrong. We can criticize. We can say this group, if you're left, you blame right. If you're right, you blame left. If you're Lib Dem, who knows? But anyway, you can, it's so easy to just blame. It's so easy to criticize and analyze. But you know, with my friend was his finger was devastated and blood pouring out. What it needed was not just a diagnosis, but the skill of a surgeon to help bring change. And you know what? Finger's all right. It's slightly smaller, which means he can put his finger up his nose and entertain the kids in ways you wouldn't imagine. But things got better because a a surgeon diagnosed it but had a vision for change and the skill to make it happen. And as we look at the world around us, let's be broken over it. Let's not soft soap things. Let's tell it as it is. Our, our borough is in trouble. Our city is in trouble. The church in this nation is in trouble. If we're honest in our own hearts, there's trouble often. But Nehemiah had a vision for change. And he said, and after walking amongst the rubble and seeing it all, he says, come, let us build. And then Nehemiah takes them on a journey, living with something bigger in view whilst being assaulted by the brokenness in front of him. That's the Christian life in many ways. We want to see God at work. We want to see God rebuilding in families. We want to see God at work, and we are confronted with the brokenness in front of us. You know, Nehemiah, what do you see? Do you have a vision for change? Do you believe God can and will do something in your heart? in your family, around your table, at your school, at your workplace, at your college, at your, in your community, in your block of flats, in your street? Do you have a vision for God at work? You see, Nehemiah had a vision to see God at work. Nehemiah believed that God could build change, bring change. Nehemiah built a work. When I was a kid, they said to me, Nehemiah, I remember reading the book of Nehemiah as a kid at our Bible study, and they talked about Nehemiah, the brave Bible builder. Didn't leave me that phrase. But here's the thing, Nehemiah built very little. Actually, the team built it. Nehemiah realized his need for others as he takes others. He says, come, let us build. And you know what? They catch a vision. They catch a vision for change and they say, let us build. So what are we building here? Well, this isn't about building a physical building. The church is not called just to build nice buildings. No, 1 Peter makes it clear, doesn't it? 2, 1 Peter 2, 5 says, You also, like stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What we build is not physical buildings. We want to see God building a house made of living stones. We want to see people coming to faith. We want to see people's lives transform. We want to see Jesus at work, restoring, renewing. You know, I, I, I was, where was I the other day? Bob Marley was on the, the radio you know, singing redemption song. These songs of freedom, all I ever hear, redemption song. And I was thinking, that's what we're about. Not Bob Marley, but we're about redemption. Seeing God at work, 
bringing redemption, songs of freedom. We're about seeing God bring change where others gave up. So what does it mean for us? It means that each of us makes a choice to walk amongst rubble, to live with the vision for change, and to see that God is able to save. Do you believe it? Do you believe God is able to save your family members? Do you believe God is able to save the neighbor that really winds you up by playing his Bob Marley at three in the morning? Do you believe that God is able to save the guy who cuts in front of you in Tesco's? Do you believe that God is able to save your boss who winds you up? Or do, are we going to write people off? You see, Nehemiah had a vision for change. And God was about to do something through his people. It's really interesting, just to close this. As God starts blessing, the devil starts messing. As God starts to, to bring vision to the people, discouragement comes. Verse 18, they replied, let us start building. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked? Are you rebelling against the king? I answered by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any his claim or historic right to it. As God is bringing a voice of faith and vision and restoration the enemy comes with unbelief. It comes with mocking. It comes with dis, trying to discouragement. And as we look, and we'll see this in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah has to deal with discouragement, disunity, and distraction. Nothing changes, right? That's often what we deal with, discouragement, disunity, distraction. If God is going to work and use you to be involved in building his kingdom here in this place. Let's hear a vision from God, but also let's discern the voice of the enemy. What is the enemy saying? And let's not live under those words. Let's not live under discouragement. Let's not live under mocking. Let's not live under a sense of failure. The, Nehemiah's answer is the God of heaven will give us success. He doesn't say, it's all right, I've got it sorted. So he doesn't say, you don't know who you're dealing with. No, no, Nehemiah says, the God of heaven. Friends, don't trust in our own goodness. Don't trust in our own resources. Don't trust in our own wisdom or smartness. Let's trust in God. Don't be discouraged. Just to close Two weeks ago, I was at the AOG conference, and we had this beautiful, beautiful older lady from North Korea. She'd come, and she was um, talking about the persecuted church in North Korea. And she was a small lady, but a real firecracker, you know? And she, as she began to talk about her experience of following Jesus... And she shared, and it was a, a privilege to get to chat to her a bit beforehand as well. And, and she was talking about she'd been in prison 10 times for being faithful to Jesus. Her husband had been put into a labor camp for following Jesus. And because of that, he'd ended up dying. She wasn't even a believer at that point. But she thought, what if my husband will do that? What must this thing be? 
And she started to learn more and she became a follower of Jesus. And she just spoke of faithfulness under difficulty. She said that when she was in prison in North Korea, they gave them uh, basically a very small ration each day of moldy corn. And she prayed and she said, God, how can I be a blessing in here? And so she decided that every day she would cut her portion into three portions, eat one herself and give two away. And in the midst of that prison, she faithfully witnessed to Christ. It was really harrowing to hear her say, as she received beatings, each time a guard would beat her, she would just think in her own mind, that's one more reward in heaven. And as I sat listening to this old lady talk, I just felt, you know, if she gave an altar call, I'd want to get born again again that day. Because I was confronted Actually, with my hard-heartedness, I was confronted with my lack of faithfulness. I was confronted with my ability to duck out of suffering. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us to walk amongst the rubble, to have a vision for change, to hold out the glorious gospel of Jesus, which is the only thing that can really bring long-term change into brokenness. And at the same time, to pay the price, whatever it is, to walk amongst the revel, not to give up, but to allow our vision of God, the greatness of Jesus, consider him who endured such hostility so you don't grow weary. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. I'm going to invite the worship band to come up. And as we worship, I want to invite you today to just, if God has spoken to you, if there's a sense in which you feel it's time to renew a commitment to walk amongst the rubble, if there's a sense of saying, God, give me hard feet and a soft heart, if it's a sense of God, help me to have a vision for change in the midst of brokenness. If that's you, as we worship, I just want to invite you just to make your way to the front. And we want to pray that God would fill you afresh with the power of his Holy Spirit. As we stand, let's just, let's begin to worship. If you would like prayer, maybe you're going through a tough time and you just need someone to, to lay hands on you and pray and just ask for grace afresh in the midst of it. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I've never even put my trust in Jesus. If that's you today, come and speak to one of us. We believe God wants to empower each of us to walk freshly amongst the rubble, to have a vision for change and to not be discouraged. Father, I want to pray that as we worship, that you would seal this word in our heart. Lord, I pray that each of us would be inspired to walk amongst the rubble with a vision for change. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be at work. Lord, I pray that you pour your Holy Spirit out today in Jesus' name.